Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 57. Last week, I began the history of the Aramines, first found in Genesis Chapter 25, covering where they were found in the Old Testament, as well as their language, and why that language is important to Christians. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm wrapping up the Aramines with their history as found in outside sources, so let's get started. Before I begin, a little review from last week to help set the stage for the history of the Aramines outside of the Bible. As far as geography goes, the Aramines inhabited an elevated plateau, which helps to explain why their name has been translated by some to mean heights. Region of Aram, especially as it concerns where it is mentioned in the Old Testament, was located in what is modernly referred to as Syria. At the peak of the kingdom of Aram, it extended from the Lebanon mountains to the east across the Euphrates River. It included the Kabur River Valley in northwestern Mesopotamia and what is present-day Turkey and Iraq. It also bordered the kingdom of Assyria. Before there were Aramines in the region, it was controlled by the Akkadians. During the Akkadian Empire, which ran from about 2335 to 2154 BC, the area was referred to as the land of Amuru. Apparently, the Neo-Sumerians, whose empire was from about 2112 to 2004 BC, and the Old Assyrians from about 2025 to 1750 BC, used the same term. And then there were other sources that referred to it as Aram. Like I mentioned last week, the name Aramu appears in the Ebla tablets, specifically in a list of geographic place names. Also in the Ebla tablets was the name Armi, which was their name for Aleppo. Actually, that's the Ebalite term for nearby Aleppo, and it occurs rather frequently in the Ebla tablets. Finally, there was the name Aram found on the tablets uncovered at Marai, probably dating to 1900 BC, and similar tablets at Ugarit, probably dating to about 1300 BC. However, there is no historical, archaeological, linguistic, or really any other evidence that conclusively shows that Aramu, Armi, Arame, or Arame were the same as the Aramines. Actually, there is nothing that even shows the groups were related to the Aramines, which leads to the oldest, mostly indisputed reference to the Aramines as a people, at least from those outside of the Bible. And this is from the inscriptions of Tiglath-Pileser I, an Assyrian king who reigned from 1114 to 1076 BC, during what is considered the latter part of the Middle Assyrian Empire. This inscription refers to subjugating the Alamu Aramines. Shortly thereafter, the name Alamu disappeared from Assyrian records, and they were just called the Aramines. This is thought to indicate that the Aramines had achieved some sort of supremacy within the nomadic groups. More on that in a bit. And, like I also covered last week, there are several references to specific Aramean cities in the Old Testament, specifically Aram Neharaim, Paddan Aram, Aram Damascus, Aram Rehob, and Aram Zobah. But this episode is not about the Arameans of the Old Testament. 
and instead concerns their history from outside sources. So let's get back to that. Prior to the arrival of the people who would become the Aramaeans, the area of the Levant and Anatolia was inhabited primarily by the Amorites. In essence, they were a Semitic group from Canaan who first showed up in the area around the 25th century BC. When they arrived, they took over Ebla and established the dominant state of Mari. Then, during the 19th century BC, they established Babylonia in southern Mesopotamia. This lasted for about 600 years before they were either driven off or absorbed into the Alamu and essentially disappeared from the historical record. So, who were these people known as the Amalu? Well, they were not a single specific group. Instead, the term is applied more generally to a new surge of Semitic nomads from different origins who appeared during the 13th century BC all across the Near East, Arabian Peninsula, Asia Minor, and Egypt. So is this what historians and archaeologists do when they can find nothing specific? Well, they tend to paint with a broad brush because there really isn't much of a choice. But there is some evidence that these people actually existed. During the Middle Assyrian Empire, which lasted from about 1365 to 1020 BC, the Babylonian city of Nippur and even Dilmun were located in what is now Bahrain. Shalmaneser I is recorded as having defeated Chaturra, the king of the Mitanni, in the 13th century BC. And these records also show that the Mitanni were assisted by Hittite and Alamu mercenaries. In the following century, the Alamu built the road from Babylon to Hattuasa in central Anatolia. Remember that city? Yes, it's where the Hittites were established. Then, around the turn of the 12th century BC, King Tuk-Ulti-Ninuratua I of Assyria conquered Mari, Hanegabat, and Rapikum on the Euphrates. He also defeated what was referred to as the Mountain of Alamu, which is thought to have been in the region of Jebel Bishri, essentially in what is today northern Syria. So why do I bring up the Alamu? Well, it is believed by many that the Arameans were part of the Alamu. But others propose that the two groups had nothing in common, except for occupying the same territory. So, circling back then, and from the little that can be garnered from the outside record, it appears that the Arameans immigrated to ancient Syria sometime around the 12th century BC. And this was during the Late Bronze Age for the region. In doing so, they displaced the earlier Semitic Amorite populations. Now keep in mind that during this period, the region was in essentially a Dark Age, and by region I'm including the Levant, North Africa, Caucasus, and Greater Mediterranean region. Not only is the history dark, but it's also assumed that there were mass migrations of people. Why? Well, this was probably related to the weather. Prior to this period, it's assumed that the Arameans were primarily livestock herders and probably herding sheep and goats. As such, they were probably nomadic, because that's how herders lived then. The period of the Late Bronze Age was also a period of a widespread drought in the region. Researchers have determined that urban settlements in the Levant, Mesopotamia, and Anatolia decreased in size during the period. 
So much so that nomadic herding, in terms of both lifestyle and sustenance, became more of the norm than the exception. And another consequence of the rising nomads was that they were more likely to have a negative impact on long-distance trade, while also interfering with the collection of taxes and tributes. None of this was a good omen for a declining empire, such as that of the Assyrians. And all of this led to the emergence of many new groups of peoples across the region. When the Arameans showed up, the area was essentially under the control of the Middle Assyrian Empire, which lasted from about 1365 to 1050 BC. By the late 12th century BC, the Arameans were firmly established in Syria. However, they were conquered by the Middle Assyrian Empire, as had been the Amorites and the Alamu before them. It was not long after this that they were apparently subjugated by the Assyrian king Tilgath-Pilisar I. Of course, with their defeat, they came under the control of the Assyrians and were incorporated into the Middle Assyrian Empire. At that time, this empire controlled most of the Levant as well as Anatolia. Like I covered last week, throughout the Old Testament, there are accounts of battles between the Israelites and the Arameans. It is thought that the battles between the Arameans and Saul, David, and Solomon probably occurred in the 11th to 10th centuries BC. Then, there is an Aramean king's version, probably from over 200 years later, and captured on what is called the Tel Dan Stele. This inscribed stone was uncovered in northern Israel. What makes it significant is that it's probably the oldest known non-Israelite extra-biblical historical reference to the Israelite royal dynasty. In this case, the House of David. Also like I covered last week, in the early 11th century BC, much of Israeli territory was defeated by the Arameans, who maintained control for over eight years according to the Book of Judges. This lasted until Othniel, the first of the Old Testament judges, defeated the forces led by Cushan-Rishathaim, the king of Aram Neharaim. On the northern side of their territory, the Arameans were also gaining land. They defeated the Hittites and established control over the city of Hamath in the process. Their growth continued, and in the 11th to 10th centuries BC, the Arameans conquered Samal in south-central Anatolia. Also, they bolstered their control over a region of Syria that spanned from Arpad to Aleppo, and with that, many other city-states in the region. Concurrently, they were winning territory east of the Euphrates, so much area that the region became known as Aram Neharaim, which literally translates to Aram of the Two Rivers. Some Arameans then immigrated into Babylonia, to the point that an Aramean, known as Adad Apal Idin, was installed as king of Babylon. But then, around the latter 11th century BC, the Middle Assyrian Empire declined after the death of their ruler Ashur Bel Kala in 1056 BC. This led to an Assyrian withdrawal from the Aramean region and allowed the Arameans to take control of what was then called Eber Narai a.k.a. the territory around what is now Syria, during the 11th century BC. It was from this point onwards that the region began to be called Arame. When this happened, the Arameans managed to establish control over several city-states in the Levant. 
But, to be clear, the Arameans never formed a unified nation. Instead, they formed confederacies of small independent kingdoms across parts of the Near East, especially in the Levant, the northwestern Arabian Peninsula, and south-central Anatolia. Overall, their political influence was limited to a number of states such as Aram, Damascus, Hamath, Palmyra, and Aleppo. There were also areas that were influenced by the Arameans, but never directly under their control. These were primarily known as the Aramean Syro-Hittite states. In fact, by the 9th century BC, most of the territory from Babylon to the Mediterranean coast was in the hands of Aramean tribes, who were sometimes collectively referred to as the Kaldu or the Kashtu. They were formerly known independently as the Chaldeans, Arameans, Sutians, and Babylonians, and became mostly culturally indistinguishable from each other. And this group was the same as the Old Testament Chaldeans. These groups would eventually come under the control of the Neo-Babylonian Empire by the 9th century BC. But then, the Assyrian descent towards oblivion slowly reversed itself, and with that came the Neo-Assyrian Empire, which lasted from 911 to 605 BC. The Arameans had almost completely encircled the Neo-Assyrians, who really did not appreciate the geographic disadvantage they were increasingly finding themselves in. But the Arameans did not go down without a fight. The Assyrians attacked Aramea, Babylonia, ancient Iran, Alam, Asia Minor, and even as far as the Mediterranean. And they did this very frequently, and usually in order to keep their trade routes open. The Aramean kingdoms, in a manner similar to that of their neighbors, were finally defeated by the Neo-Assyrians in 911 BC. At that time, Assyria was ruled by Adad Ninari II. And with the re-emergence of the Assyrians, the Arameans once again lost their independence. And this time, the conditions were worse. The Assyrians deported many Arameans, and the estimate is well over 100,000 people, to Assyria, Babylonia, and other far-flung areas. These Arameans were then culturally absorbed into native populations of Assyria and Babylonia. And with that, those deported people's distinct culture disappeared. But this conquest was not won in one great battle, and was instead a series of battles. Remember, the Arameans were really a somewhat tight confederacy of city-states, and therefore each location had to be defeated individually, and they were. Assyrian ruler Ashurn Assyripal II and his son Shalmaneser III destroyed many of the small Aramean tribes and conquered the whole of Aramea. In 853 BC, Shalmaneser fought a battle at Karkar against the armies of Hamath, Aram, Phoenicia, and Israel. When it was over, there was no clear winner. But in 838 BC, Shalmaneser was able to gain control over the area held by the tribes on the Middle Euphrates. But it wasn't until 734 BC that Samaria was captured, and 732 BC that the city-state of Aram Damascus was conquered by the Assyrian king Tilgath Peleser III. Finally, the destruction of Hamath by Sargon II occurred in 720 BC, marking the end of the Aramean kingdoms, at least those in the western side of the Levant and Mesopotamia. 
Aramines along the lower Tigris River maintained their independence a little longer, well, about 100 years. Then, towards the end of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, beginning around 626 BC, constant civil wars were fought, and this internal strife allowed the emergence of external foes who then began to systematically pick off outlying regions. Enemies such as the Babylonians, Chaldeans, Medes, Persians, Parthians, Scythians, and Cimmerans. In 626 BC, a Chaldean general, Nebopalassar, declared himself king of Babylon and allied with the Medes and Scythians to attempt to overthrow Assyria, and he did. This new empire became known as New Babylonia and is sometimes called the Chaldean Empire. During this period, the region was subsequently fought over by the Babylonians and Egyptians. And this was the 26th Egyptian dynasty, who essentially arrived late to the party and fought on the side of the Assyrians, primarily to prevent Babylon from ruling North Africa. What does it matter that it was the 26th Egyptian dynasty? Well, they had been personally installed by the Assyrians, and the fight between the Egyptians and the Babylonians lasted for decades before the Babylonians finally won. And then the foes allied and defeated Nineveh in 612 BC, and essentially defeated the Assyrians in 605 BC, although there were remnants in the north that clung to power for about another six years. Either way, the Assyrians were done and sent to the dustbin of history. In the end, well, around the turn of the 6th century BC, when the Babylonians won, Aram became part of the brief Neo-Babylonian Empire. These were the same Babylonians that produced King Nebuchadnezzar. After the Babylonians, the Arameans came to be ruled by the Persian Achaemenid Empire from about 539 to 332 BC. Like the Babylonians, the Achaemenids continued the use of the Aramaic language. And, similar to that, not much change with the Achaemenids. Next, and as I've covered before, in 332 BC, the area was conquered by a Greek known as Alexander. After about a decade, Alexander would die, and the area would become known as the Greek Seleucid Empire, and Greek became the official language. The major change during the rule of the Greeks was the renaming of the region to Syria, a name that, while incorrect, has been what the Western world has called the region ever since, for over 2,000 years. The Greeks eventually lost control of the area to the Parthians, and the area switched hands between the Greeks and the Parthians several times in the 2nd century BC. The Nabataeans took over around 100 BC, and allied themselves with the rising Roman Empire. The Romans and then the Byzantians controlled the area, except for a very brief period when the Armenians took over in the late 1st century AD. During Roman rule, an Aramean kingdom known as Palmyra came to power. It was located in what is today central Syria. They somehow managed to remain independent of Rome from about 64 BC to 14 AD when they were finally brought into the Roman fold by a force sent on the orders of Tiberius. And the Arameans weren't completely gone. Well, at least their language was around. As I mentioned briefly last week, their language, Aramaic, was to become one of two official languages of the Assyrian Empire. 
This happened during the reign of King Tilgath-Pilassar III, who ruled from about 745 to 727 BC. So why did he do this? Well, he was smart enough to realize that many of his subjects, especially those west of the Euphrates, were native speakers, and it certainly made control easier. Now, the impact of this cannot really be understated. At the time, the Neo-Assyrian Empire extended from Cyprus in the northwest, to Persia and Elam in the east, to Armenia and the Caucasus in the northeast, to Egypt and Arabia in the south. Today, there are literally over a dozen countries that occupy the same geographic area. After the Neo-Assyrians was the Achaemenid Empire, which lasted from about 550 to 330 BC. And with this empire came the further spread of the language, now from the coast of the Black Sea in northern Anatolia and eastward to the Indus Valley, in present-day Afghanistan and Pakistan. It was this version of Aramaic, with the recognized influences of Akkadian and Old Persian, that would eventually evolve into a Syriac dialect of Edessa. Also of note, between the 1st and 4th centuries AD, the Arameans at first slowly began to adopt Christianity. It replaced their native polytheistic religion, and with this, the Levant became essentially the focus of Syriac Christianity. The Romans, then the Byzantines, would control the area of the Arameans until the mid-7th century AD, when the region fell to the Arab Islamic conquest. And despite the new power structure, the Aramaic language as well as the Christian religion survived. Also at the time, the native Arameans continued to be the majority in the area. But like so many things I've covered in this podcast, their majority status was not to last. Slowly, native Arameans became a minority in the region, and the language was gradually replaced by Arabic. Now, this occurred primarily because of the immigration of peoples from the Arabian Peninsula. And finally, I'll end the history of the Arameans with what's left of their language. The use of the Western Aramaic language has steadily declined since the Arab Islamic conquest of the area in the 7th century AD. But, and despite this, it is still spoken around the town of Maulula in southwestern Syria as well as in small pockets throughout the Middle East. But native speakers are slowly dying off and language is facing extinction. In fact, one dialect known as Neo-Mandean is spoken by the Mandeans of Iraq and Iran, with the population of this ethnic group numbering in the neighborhood of 50,000 people. Now that may sound like a lot, but the number of fluent speakers is estimated to be less than 6,000 and decreases essentially daily. And that's probably a good place to end this episode. Join me next week when I'll cover the history of several smaller groups like I did a few weeks ago, but from the next few chapters in Genesis. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. And this week, Once again, I'll implore you to go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast from and leave a positive review. Doing so helps others to find the podcast. Finally, and as always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page, which has over 2,200 likes. 
a number that still amazes me. You can find that Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Thank you.